I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in wonder. I am McLovin. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Glacé Film Club podcast. Yes, here we are once again to dive into a film, tear it apart and share our thoughts and feelings on it. And when I say we, of course, it's not just me jabbering on on my own as much as I'd like that. It's my good friend, Fred, film lover and the man who's got all the high thoughts when it comes to these films to share them out and then I can just witter on behind him of course it's the engine behind the glacé film club podcast it's callum how are you doing callum i'm well i'm, I'm all right yeah Fantastic. a little bit well that's good to hear i'm glad to hear you well, a, little, a little bit tired yeah just just a little bit tired been a busy man very, i've been very busy these past few weeks yeah um you know sort of finger on the pulse as it were i think i've had my finger on my pulse to make sure that i'm not i'm not dead um like I would appreciate if you did make sure <laughs> that was the situation. It's quite an intense start to it to the episode, isn't it? Just like mentioned it, it is a little bit. Can, can you throw us something for a bit of light relief? Um, I I went I I, like, <coughs> I nearly I nearly I nearly choked. That. That's not a good sign when you say you're trying to keep yourself alive and you're choking on your own words. <laughs> oh, blimey! Um, no, I went I went to a board games night actually on Friday. That was fun. Um, it sounds nice and wholesome, though. It was, it's not yeah. The classic go and sit in a bar till four o'clock in the morning. No, indeed. And I'm glad I didn't do that, actually. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite nice. Uh, sort of having you know, a little decaf coffee as well. Like, well, look light at some you. candles, you know, play, play, a, play did, a board game. Did you win the game? No, absolutely not. No. Um, it, was a, it was a strange game. It was called Imperial Struggle. Um, uh, and it was I was playing as France and my friend was playing as Britain and I just yeah by the end I was quite tired and I'd kind of just given up so I was I just said to Britain just you know just colonize me I don't know <laughs> which to be fair is historic well, what a historical is, lesson well exactly there. you know um, yeah so that was that um, I've just been working a lot really I had nothing else to report I did try and go to a book signing actually I was supposed to be going to a book signing at the photographer's gallery. Um, but the the photographer cancelled, which was a shame. Um, that is a real shame. Actually, no, it's just come to me now. Actually, I I did. I went to a blues bar actually on Thursday night. Nice. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I went to a blues bar on Thursday night. I was trying to find something in my in my head as to what I've actually done this last week, but yeah, I did that and it was really nice. Um, was there was there an act on? There was an act on. There was a, yeah, there was. I mean, there's that is it's um, the one I took you to uh, when you came when that when you came to visit. Oh, in, in the Soho area. Uh, no, no, not that one. Um, it was it's in Oxford Circus. Okay. Um, it's the. Uh, it was when you came down with um with Matty, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a lovely setup. It is. It is. I can see how a live performer would work very nicely. There. It is a good setup. Yeah. Um. I just went after work. It was quite nice, actually. Uh, a few jars. Just one, actually. Just one jar, which is again good restraint. I was very impressed with myself, actually. I had, you know, you like to quote Liam Gallagher. It's like you go to the pub. You're not just having one, are you? You're having hundreds. Like, yeah, but yeah, you did just have. I did one. have one. Yeah. 
That's a real pat on the back moment. It's sad that, isn't it? When you when when that's that's the peak of 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 you of <laughs> feeling proud of yourself. I only I only <laughs> I only had one beer, which um, you should feel proud. You've got to find those moments where you can. Color. It's hilarious, isn't it? Because like ten years ago, I'd be like, "You're only having one beer." It's like you'd be like, "So oh, I, I had I had twelve million beers last night, and I feel fine." Whereas now it's like, "Oh, just had one beer last. Oh, I feel good now. Just having one beer." There's a real there's the, the how 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 the sands of uh, the hourglass are changing. <laughs> well, what a lovely metaphor. Well, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you you got out though, Callum, and you managed managed to treat yourself and taken some music because that's what it's about, isn't it? The consumption of regular art. Yeah, absolutely. I need I need <laughs> to get a, I actually need to get a being of art. I need to get a frame just to name drop this. I need to get a frame for my uh, my Dido Moriyama poster. I showed you. I showed yes. you it. Um, it's yeah. Yeah. well. If you, if you want to share a photo with with the listeners on our Instagram page, I'm sure they'll appreciate checking that out. Maybe we can get some suggestions for framers in the London area. Well, to be fair, like I mean, for, you know, for the film lovers, Dido Moriz, his photographs are quite cinematic in some respects. Mm. Um, that opening scene of uh, of Taxi Driver, for example, and the photographs of Dido Moriyama's sort of Japan are quite similar. Um, in terms of how it's shot. I don't know who's inspired who. Has Scorsese been inspired by Moriyama or has Moriyama been inspired by Scorsese? I, hey, it's, it's a whole fluid playground. I mean, it? I imagine it's the, it's the former, actually, um, rather than the latter. But, um, yeah, I need to get that done. Yeah. Well, good, good. I'm glad to hear that you've got some artistic endeavours going on there, kind of. It's not all about the big stories. It's just all about getting on with your life and having a nice time so don't you worry that there's been no madness going on keep keep yourself (laughs) in good health that's what i'd say but that aside we've got a film to dive into of course we have we've gone back again a few years we're going through a few classics and modern classics and a few uh famous directors that we've gone through and we've got another pair Maybe that's a bit of a clue. They're a pair of famous directors here on this episode's edition. But that's enough from me, Callum. Can you take it from here, tell us about the film, and give us an overview, please? This week, we decided to go all the way back to 1987. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, Depends on your perspective. Uh, But we watched Raising Arizona, um, which is in a Coen Brothers movie. So it was directed by Joel Coen, produced by Ethan Coen, um, written by the... uh, the brother duo, as it were. Um, it's got Nicolas Cage in, which um, I was intrigued to see it purely because it's got Nick Cage in. Um, I think Nick Cage gets a bad rap sometimes. Um, he's an interesting guy. But he plays uh, an ex-convict, basically. Well, he plays a convict slash ex-convict, and I think he never really sort of relinqu- relinquishes his criminality. Um, but he falls in love with one of the police officers that's um, in charge of the prison where he's at, and... Um, they decided to steal um, a baby of quite a famous, uh, important um, economic socialite, I suppose, in the uh, in the area, in the Arizona area. Um, so he's known as sort of the Arizona Quince, um, basically, and he steals one of their one of their babies because he thinks they have too many, um, and tries to raise this child, basically, um, and it's a weird weird film um i think it's more of a meditation on um child or like sort of family dynamics perhaps and how that sort of meshes 
with capitalism. It's certainly a critique of Reagan's America, I think, um, given of when it's made and given some of the themes that it that it that it unpacks. Um, but it's generally um, quite a a strange Looney Tunes movie, as described by Simon Pegg. But it it's really about I think um, family values, maybe, and um, sort of Southern America. I think it was. I, it's like a cow. I think it was the way I interpret it. It's like a cowboy movie, and it's critiquing Regan's America. So it's like a modern nineteen eighties cowboy style movie, um, because there's so many there's so many sort of uh, cowboy themes in there. I imagine it's it, it's been heavily inspired by sort of novels from maybe the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties, and perhaps the turn of the century, turn of the turn of the twentieth century. There's a lot of themes in there that that, that sort of reference that. Um, so yeah, that was uh, it's called that was raising Arizona, which again the the um the film name is quite funny. It's as if like you know that Arizona, you know, you need to raise the whole of the county. The whole of the county can be the whole of the state. Sorry, can be reduced to these f- uh, four, five, uh, four um, small children that are the the offspring of a a wealthy capitalist socialite known for selling furniture, which is hilarious. But yeah, that's raising Arizona, Marcus. Yeah. Thank you very much, yeah. Callum. As always, I think you just tapped into a few interesting themes at the end there. The, the title itself—I never really thought about that in too much detail. But the idea—I think that ties into what you were saying of that bit of the the critique and satire of the modern American setting and that conservative America, but like raising Arizona is like it's like raising the standard, isn't it, by putting this blueprint of Reagan America on it, and he does very blatantly reference Reagan at one point. So there's definitely a lot to go into there. But before we do explore that in a bit more detail, I just want to go straight off the bat my feelings of watching it. I mean, yeah, funny. It is very funny because it is mad. That's not the only reason it's funny. There's, there's some good gags in there, and it, it's well crafted on that sense. But it's absurd obscure there's a lot of surreal elements in it and it is this frantic ridiculous plot which you see a lot in coen brothers film let's throw back to one of our shared shared favorites the big lebowski Mm. in that and and we love that for the madness that ensues in it but there's a very set structure in terms of something happens at the beginning absolute madness ensues in the middle and then it ends without real anything changing from the actual plot it's just what happens in between and that's kind of what happens in this i would say that this is an inferior film to the big lebowski i found it funny yes i quite enjoyed the madness and the absurdity but i think you've got to work hard to enjoy it that's what i would say is that it's quite good that it's a tight 90 minute film in that it throws a lot at you. And yeah, there's a lot to enjoy in there, but you're constantly on. You're not you're not fed the film. And as we chatted about before we started recording, Callum, I feel that, like you said to me, it's a film that other filmmakers like and respect because it feels like the Coen brothers have just let loose and had no restraints put on them, and people respect that. Mm. Which led me to think... It's not really a film made for the audience. It's a film very self-indulgently made. And yes, respect it, find it funny. And it was mad to see something that mad. And yes, we'll get into those other themes that it goes into, but I feel you've got to work for it and you're not comfortably sat back taking it in. It's 
tough to get those laughs and enjoyment out of it, even though they're there. Don't worry, they're absolutely there in abundance, but it's it's not the easiest to get out of. And even though I did enjoy it, I was kind of glad it rounded at the 90. What about you? What was your immediate feel from that? I think it's um, a real uh, sort of ensemble of um, different critiques and different themes. I think it's it doesn't really sort of have it. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is absurd, as you say, and it is surreal. Um, I, I quite liked the um, the absurdity of it, though. That, I think that I, I did really love that aspect of it. I mean, it's just so weird. Um, and you find yourself laughing at things that you, you don't really know why they're funny. They just kind of work um, in that particular setting. Um, like I, I really, really enjoyed the scene when the... Um, the kids of uh, his wife's friends, I think. Is it his wife's friend? The, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're all... No, it's his boss, isn't it? It's his boss. It's his boss. I can't remember. Yeah, because he gets fired, doesn't he? Yes, no, you're right. Yeah, no, you're right. It's his boy. Yeah, so his, his boss's kids come around to visit and um, they're absolutely... There's loads of... There's loads, like, yeah. Again, it's just the... It ties in the whole film of it. It's just the ridiculousness. Yeah, it's like an absolute crash turns up and um, yeah. they're all running amok. One's dressed as a cowboy, the other's dressed as an Indian. Um, and they're all running around sort of like fighting and throwing things around. But like he's like instilling a sort of like weird sense of masculine prat like um, honour onto them. And they're outside like hitting and destroying an already destroyed, burnt out like sort of Buick car there's this wreck of a car in the desert and all all these kids are just attacking it with just like this idea of like mindless violence it's just like 1980 like reagan's america just on steroids like even the kids are hyped up just like the the sort of the 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 bankers were and it's like this sort of hyper masculine america almost that's being sort of instilled on kids i mean even even the the kid of uh they steal um is ends up being a sort of a football player for example like yeah you know what i mean it's just like the whole thing is a critique and i again i found it quite funny um at christmas when when all the the offspring of this furniture this this sort of like uber capitalist sort of big name he's a big name in the community isn't he he's like he's he's really sort of um uh like the Arizona Quints, like they're, 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 the family are well known. They, they live in this massive house. Um, and all the kids are dressed up in little red onesies and they just basically they're devils. Even, even the football is like painted red. It's just like that they get given for Christmas. Um, there's so many like little, um, little, uh, sort of bits within the movie that, um, sp- speak volumes about, uh, 1980s America, I think. Um, which on their own, wouldn't necessarily be that profound but when you put them all together it all sort of meshes and all works um even the chase scene as well when he's um when he's when he steals the diapers from the the corner shop and uh the police are like hanging out of the police car and shooting them as if they're hanging off a horse um and it's just like this this sort of like like this this crazy chase scene that happened all across the arizona arizona desert it's just so funny um, that the, there's there's bits of it that are really really hilarious, and also the bit when um the uh the, well the the concept I suppose the concept of raising Arizona it's like the whole the whole of the state the whole future of the state can be reduced to these these gorgeous little um children, and of course they're all blonde haired uh white kids, which again I think is the Coen Brothers nice sort of like 
um subtle critique basically accusing like it's all these like raising those like these little fascists basically um just, yeah yeah funny but again at the same time it was just like i it's one of those films that i would sort of take off the shelf when i'm feeling a bit low if i want to sort of like just watch a movie that's just sort of absurd because it's it's a critique of horrible things but it's done in such a a, uh, a fun it's, it's done in a, in a comic a comedic way um to critique an entire sort of nation state um it can be quite intense but the Co- but the Coen brothers just do it using existing means and existing tropes and the bit that i was saying about the cowboy movie as well it's kind of like they're using a sort of classic american um uh cultural phenomenon or cultural trope to critique contemporary american culture i thought that was quite intelligent i thought it was quite clever actually um they're using sort of a, a classic american trope to critique um contemporary america um yeah those are my rambling thoughts yeah absolutely and i definitely align with you when we look at it of what how is it constructing its narrative and what's it trying to say it's that layering of the western as you say he references himself as being a frontiersman and this is why he can't his family you know he's from a family of frontiersmen. (laughs) this is why he can't settle in in that world but then also it is this 80s uh, Reagan America of like super uh, thrusting at the economics of let's push that hard and like you say the hyper masculinity and it all being framed within this traditional conservative family setting that's exactly what it is uh, it's, it's like satirical of it it's critiquing it and it's and it's playfully putting that back and forth because everything then around it what is it at the core what's the emotional core of it it's a man and a woman wanting to form a strong family unit by having a child. They can't have a child. So the emotional grip there is that they fall in love and there's this, like, lovely period. What does he describe that period of where it's, like, really nice period, like the kind of honeymoon period? I think there was a specific term. I can't remember that he uses. But then they say, all right, they want this child to... It's all nice for the family. But then it goes off the rails because it all then becomes, like, an exchange. Everything in it is an exchange. Like, they need to, like, go and obtain the child. And then there's um, a a reward a financial reward mm, on there yeah. and then even then the kind of consumer uh elements hyped up even more that then when the father of the child that goes missing is interviewed by the press he goes don't worry it's business as usual and he, and he kind of gives his uh his spiel to the press of his advertising and saying that you can still come and buy the furniture and this idea i think the furniture is one thing as well is it like the the biggest retailer of unpainted furniture <laughs> it's this idea isn't it of the like the flat pack con- um consumer look there's the recreated lifestyle go and put that into your new house that you've bought with the mortgage that you can get easily in the 80s and it's all this hyper economics yeah. on that so there's loads of that thrown in like is it all done and structured with one set point I don't necessarily think so. I think the madness of the film is not just how the action plays out, but the 
the points that they're trying to look at. It's more just, look, this is a bit mad, isn't it, how we live in the 80s without necessarily saying anything too profound or pointing the finger at it. I think it throws it out there and goes, look at this setting against this then weird story. Well, I mean, I do on that, though, don't you think that, like, it's kind of... Because as you were saying that, I just, I just thought of this. Like, don't you think it, it, the reason why it's absurd is because it's saying that America is absurd? It's like you you can't yes. possibly like even begin to think of a narrative for this country in 1987 because it's just so absurd. It's like today, for example, like with what's happening like politi- in Britain, for example, and politically, I would really. It's just so ridiculous and so absurd that I think absurdity and surrealism is the only way to really address something like like mm-hmm. that maybe I get you yeah. um, but it's, it's like, like you know the, the, the biggest sailor of unpainted furniture <laughs> it's just in out across Arizona it's so ridiculous um, but it, I, I think I think I think it is, it is it is a reference to how surreal America is in 1987 um, yeah and the thing is then like to make their as they keep saying, family unit complete, they have to have this child, which I don't think is necessarily a, a critique of that in itself, but it's what it then leads on from there. And there's a bit where he's saying about dreaming about the guy on the bike who then comes after them all. Oh, it's yeah. like, what forces have I let loose by what I'm doing? And obviously it's a really extreme over the top symbolism for it, but what, it's suggesting is that by embracing this first step of American family life, it opens the door to all the other trappings and madness that comes with it. So they're saying that they want to form this family unit, but like everything that takes hold then leads to all the things uh, and then be mad by trying to steal the baby. But they're saying that the film's kind of suggesting that, well, the whole of society is kind of mad and ridiculous from doing all these same things all in the name of uh, family and, and things like that. That's what it all comes down to. Oh, why do we build the homes in these way? Why do we have jobs like this? Or because it's the core family that we're providing for. And there's a line where he's saying like, oh, it felt good to go home and, and provide for them and stuff like this, even though he's doing something very mindless, but just putting holes in sheet metal. <laughs> no feeling for. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of um, the Douglas Copeland novel Generation X. Um, like, because that that novel is basically like it's yeah, that's also a critique of nineteen eighties America, um, and it's a critique of the sort of the rampant neoliberalism that was happening in the in the eighties and the the obsession, sort of the fetishization of the family units, um, which I think is what this film is doing as well. Um, like this, 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 this movie—it's like it's like sort of critiquing the fetishization of the family and saying that like America, nineteen eighties America, are just basically raising these spoiled little fascists, these devil fascist people. Yeah, and they're all they all become obsessed by the baby. Yeah. Like everyone's drawn in by it, and the the convicts who escape the prison and stay with them and then go and hold up the bank—they steal the child to try and claim the reward but they even become like enthralled by the power of the baby and like oh look at him like is that buying the balloons for him and things like that and the point there is not oh it's bad to treat children well the point there is that the child represents this conservative family unit that has a very set 
uh, makeup in America of the time of white, well-off, business-orientated, led by the man. And the baby is the symbol of how America's obsessed with that image and way of approaching it. So the fact that this baby becomes the point of obsession for everyone involved in the film, the um, obviously the actual family the couple who are going to try and get him, and then the the manhunter, because yeah. to him it's a source of economic value. The family uh, unit, the child, is where all uh, econ- the economy stems from for him. And the ridiculous span of all that is then showing, oh, look, everyone's obsessed by this. And I think symbolically that's really good. And how do they enact it in a filmic way? Well, their style is absurdity and going over the top with it. And just a real nod to, uh, and again, respect for some of those fight and chase scenes because there's two elements that I found pretty hilarious in them. One, how over the top they were. (laughs) So, like, that's funny in itself, isn't it? Just, like, how extended they were, some of the big over-the-top elements. But then it was more the subtle bits that made me laugh, like when he's running through the shop and he keeps trying to get the, the Huggies nappies. <laughs> and there's one, like, one of the guys pulls a shotgun out on him and he just, like, throws the nappies at him and that disarms him. <laughs> and, and then, like, when the car's absolutely steaming towards the baby sat in the road and he slams the brakes on and it just stops just before. Like, things like that. It was more the subtle bits that I found the real humour in and the -the over-the-top absurdity. But, yeah, like I said, when it comes down to it, and as we have just discussed, I think the framework of it is all looking towards that 1980s America family unit, conservative uh, economics, and what that all comes down to and stems from, as you say, that kind of slightly conservative white family is what America's built round. And the film is absurd because it's saying, look how absurd America is. Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the, 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 the bank scene when the, when the, when they, when they've got the baby and they're sat in the car, it's like, we can't leave a baby in the car. It's dangerous. Um, and then yeah. they take him, take the thing into uh, a bank raid where they've got shotguns. And I'm just like, my favorite brilliant. bit in that is because they have the the interchange where he goes, "Freeze, get on the floor," and like nobody gets down. Yeah. And then he's like, "Oh, wait, what do you want to do?" And he has this like negotiation with an old guy. He's like, "You told us to freeze and get on the floor." And he's like, "Yeah, right, just get on the floor." And then he turns to the um, the bank tellers and he goes, "Where's all the bank tellers?" And you just hear the voice going, "We're on the floor," like he told us. <laughs> that line's very funny i really enjoyed that <laughs> but yeah they're, they're good characters they bring a lot of lot of humor to it and um as you say it punctuates throughout because one that's the filmic style they're going for they're trying to make as i read online a goofball comedy which yeah. i think's a, a good description but what is that trying to do and say absolutely outlines it in, in the way that we saw there. Have you have you got anything to add there in terms of how the comedy lands? Because it's, as I said at the beginning, it's not the most comfortable consumption of com- comedy. You don't just, it's not a sit back and laugh and enjoy. You've got to like kind of switch on and your head's been bashed in all sorts of directions. Even though it's funny, but it's not funny for the obvious reasons of there's a gag, laugh at it. It's funny because it is ridiculous and it's making you feel a little bit ridiculous. Well, I think, I mean, I I really like Coen Brothers' humour generally. I mean, one of my favourite movies is Burn After Reading. Um which which is which isn't I, I know is not is not 
um, uh, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I, I really like that sort of um, that style of humor because there's, I think with Coen Brothers movies they have a they have their own vocabulary. I think when it comes to comedy, the vocabulary of comedy, I suppose, in a Coen Brothers movie is quite unique. Um, mm-hmm. And there's nothing really, I can't think of anyone else that's really like it, to be honest. Um, but I. I I, I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's. I don't know whether it's the the subject matter that they always choose to critique is um, the nation. There's, there's always a critique of the nation, I think, or the concept of a nation, or the concept of uh, of a cultural um, sort of phenomenon. Yeah. Cultural, yeah, like cultural identity. Yeah, of, of yeah. Material. And I, I, I really like that style of comedy generally. Um, it did land quite well with me. Um, it was certainly one of the more the more obscure Coen Brothers movies that I've seen. It didn't the comedy didn't land as easily with me as um, as it, as the as Burn After Reading does. Um, but then I, that's that's that, that's due to casting. I think I find the casting in Burn After Reading incredibly funny. Um, that's why I think it works. Um, but with this particular movie, um, I felt. There was there were, there were moments where I felt like I had to sort of oh I had to work to laugh, but at the same time that was very quite that was quite rare. I don't know. I I, I just I thought it was. I'm trying to over intellectualize it really. I just thought it was funny. It was just funny. The surreal and the absurdity of it I think works. It's just like yeah, I'm, I'm yeah that's it really, yeah. Lovely. Well, let's wrap this up. Let's get a, an end to this. As I, as I said at the beginning, from my perspective, is that I found it funny and, you know, a lot of respect for someone who can throw a film together that's so ridiculous as this. And do see that framework that we discussed of the critique and how it puts a bit of like a, let's go for a, a sideways look on 1980s America and everything that comes um, with conservative reaganism but like a lot of films do look at that and we often discuss um critiques of american culture and things like that and i don't think that was the overpowering thing for me i think very much it was a style of film that was done mainly for the stylistic reasons and the other things come because that's the interest of them i did have to work for the last like I enjoyed it. I found it funny, but it really hurts the head to watch and it's not necessarily the most satisfying watching experience because of that. But I did enjoy a lot of it and I did... There were some big laughs and they mainly became, came from those moments of madness and, as I said, the subtle bits of, of humour that came cut underneath that. So, yes, a good film. See what it was doing. I just struggle to really enjoy this out and out absurd genre. So I'm going to give it a six out of ten. Callum, what about? I'm you? going to give it an eight out of ten, um, just because I'm I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of of that style, um, and I think the, the the sort of ensemble and the mesh of all these different critiques when they're put together, I think, work as an absurd piece of comedy. Um, the sort of the the, the the cowboy and Indian trope, and then the sort of the nineteen eighties um, fertilization, I suppose, of the nation, quite literally. <laughs> um, uh, I think it all it all works as an absurd piece of critique. I think an absurd art critique. I could see this movie being actually like the stills of the movie being in an art gallery. 
Okay. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I could see the that. stills of the movie. And maybe they are, Callum. Maybe, maybe they, they are, are yeah. Like, I, could, I could see the stills of this movie being in an art gallery and it, and it being called Ra- Raising Arizona could be an art installation. There you go. And I think that's that's the highest critique. That's the highest um, critique, sorry. That's the highest sort of accolade one could uh, get, in, from my opinion anyway. If someone says to me, my work would be in an art gallery, I'm just like, oh my God, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, 8 out of 10. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Callum. And there we have it. That was our review of Raising Arizona. And that was another episode of the Glacé Film Club podcast. As we always say, there's plenty in our back catalogue. We keep chipping away over the years and now there's plenty you can listen to, whether it be reviews or conversation episodes. And we are not stopping anytime soon. Stay checking our feed for all the latest episodes. We're always on there getting the new ones out there. Hey, and if you enjoy it, a review would be fantastic. We always appreciate that on whatever platform you listen to us to. But until next time. That was another episode of the Glass A Film Club podcast. We'll see you all later.